Hi, welcome to the Artificial Intelligence, Machine Learning and Data Science Weekly Podcast. My name is Kwan Hong, or you can call me KH. In this show, I'll be talking to AI, ML and data science practitioners around the region. In each episode, I will dive into relevant and interesting AI, ML topics, where you get to know more about topics ranging from AI, ML adoption, best practices, and tips and tricks to be a better AI, ML data science practitioner. Hi, welcome to another episode of AI, ML and Data Talks Weekly Podcast. In today's episode, I'm happy to have Dr. Yong Chifai, who is currently working as Associate Professor at University Technology Malaysia, or UTM, as well as the Chairman and Co-Founder at DF Automation and Robotics as a guest for the show. Hi, Dr. Yong. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Guang Hong. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting me here for this podcast. Yeah, thank you for making the time. Yeah, so before we start, uh, maybe you can give a brief introduction about yourself, maybe your childhood, your education, and then how do you, you know, your career path that end, uh, ended as a associate professor at UTM at the moment? Okay, uh, well, when I was young, I think as, um, as like oh, every other kid that we like robots, like, so that, that is basically what drive me to go into the engineering, not really in the robotics. So when I, after I finished my uh, SPM, then, you know, my dad asked me, hey, try UTM because it's one of the top technology university in Malaysia. So yeah, I managed to come in and that's, I mean, I, uh, that's a bit of luck. <laughs> so when I was in UTM, then it's, I mean, I start to uh, met a lot of professor and also start to understand also robotic, not only in Malaysia, but worldwide. So that is about four years and I finished and then I continued my master in UTM as well. And this is where I struck more opportunity to grow my career exponential, I would say. So during my first year of the master, uh, I would say that I, I, my master project was developing a service robot. This is like 20 years ago. Uh, and of course, we don't have Google. We don't have uh, all this uh, easy to assemble Arduino kit and all the machine learning platform. Those there, we need to write our own code, like using Visual Basic, everything line by line and so on. Uh. But that, but then also I joined a robot competition called Robot Corner, and I think because of that competition, it really pushed me and also my team to learn things even faster, to learn even things that is not here. But the the ultimate aim is actually it make the journey more interesting So I got kind of like addicted to that competition. But first year, uh, if we win the Malaysia one, actually we're going to represent Malaysia, but we didn't win. So it was quite sad. But at the same time also, it made us want to come back. So the next day we joined and luckily we won the competition, we represent Malaysia. Then we keep on joining for a couple of years already. Uh, but this can, this journey allowed me to see robot, allowed me to see the technical part, how to build something from scratch all the way until uh, the robot itself. Um, throughout that journey, because I'm involved quite deeply in robotic and also with a bunch of uh, students, then you know, I, I just apply a position in UTM that I got a job. So that's thankfully. So I can still teach a student and I can still do things that I like, which is to design and develop robot and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, and moving forward, and in, in late uh, 2000, I went to UK for my PhD. So when I was there, I see something very different as well. Uh, when they do research, they don't focus on just competition or innovation. They try to address the real-life environment or industry or the social uh, society. I still remember when I was there for the first year, I have to spend my one month in the hospital because I had to be asked to develop a robot constipation. So stroke is something that I'm not very familiar at all. So, But because of that one month, I understand 
the stroke patient challenges. I understand the physiotherapy challenges and so on and so forth. And me as a robot engineer, I start to think, hey, what can I do about that? So right after that, within four years, I developed a robot and, and the hospital liked it. In fact, they said they want to buy it. But cut the story short, I flew back to Malaysia because I finished my PhD. Then I was thinking that, hey, why don't I just, uh, you know, build one in Malaysia? Lah. So this is how I start to venture to into entrepreneurship in Malaysia. Uh, that was back in 2010-11. But it was so difficult because, uh, to be honest, compared to the ecosystem here and the UK, the entrepreneurship is a bit, uh, uh, a bit behind. Lah. But I think that, that made me, uh, I think I want to push it because it's, it's challenging. <laughs> so I try it. Um, so the medical healthcare the rope the for the stroke patient it was a bit tough. Then I tried to venture into other opportunities. So I like robotics. I want to try entrepreneurship. Then I found my other two partner, Mr. Tam Ping and Ricky. And this is where we actually come up with this company to develop autonomous mobile robot called AMR or AGV or automated guided vehicle for the industry. Uh, so that's how we started the business and he has been since 2010, about nine years already. So we grow from three person company to about 65 company, uh, person company. And we also has exported this robot to various countries. So the journey is actually from when I'm young, it's all about interest. Then during the university, I joined competition and innovation that really pushed me my interest in robotics. And after that, I went for my PhD and I see the world where they actually really commercial the innovation product. So I want to venture into this entrepreneurship. And moving forward now, I think is how to grow the business, and more important is how to build this uh, ecosystem to support this uh, initiative. So that's yeah, basically to sum up. Wow, it's an interesting journey indeed. So I think uh, we, you probably have found your passion. So you did you so means before you actually joined, I mean uh, before you actually started your degree, you already have a passion about robots <laughs> and robotics. And then when you then slowly you grow your passion and more and more, and then from there you join a lot of uh, competition, and then you actually graduated with a PhD in in uh, in robotics. Uh, so I think there is something that. Uh, people should appreciate that, that you, you you actually found a passion that you something that, that you really like and then you actually actually you know, still continue pursuing your, your dream. Interesting indeed. So what um, can you describe more about your current job I mean in your company? What do you do actually uh, as a chairman uh, and so a co-founder and how do you balance your job between working in a university and also working in a in a in a company? Yeah, thanks for the question. Uh, I think let's start from my role as an associate professor at UTM because I'm still uh, as a full-time lecturer there. I've been an uh, academician for the last 20 years. I think at the early stage, uh, I think what the bigger challenge in the university, in my opinion, is including myself when I was a student, I don't get close enough to the industry. So there always a sort of barrier. So when I became my uh, lecturer, so I keep on thinking that I want to venture myself to the industry. I want to understand what is the industry problem. And then I, then I could provide to the students. Uh. So there's many ways to do that. Number one is, of course, we can collaborate with the industry, bring them in and to discuss. On the second one is you yourself immerse into the industry. So I took both sides. I, I, I myself collaborate with a lot of uh, industry players. So I invited them to come to give a talk to the students. Sometimes we even ask the uh, company to give a problem statement. Uh, when I immerse myself into the industry, then I can have a lot of a bigger picture of how industry is when I, you know, sometimes I uh, do the teaching to my students, I will provide this kind of uh, insight. For example, uh, what is the process of uh, developing an automation proposal to, uh, to the site? Uh, what are the things that the 
the company are looking at. So sometimes uh, you may not notice in detail if you're not immersed yourself inside into the business. So that's why I would say that it's a women's situation. If I have one leg in the university and also one leg in the businesses. On the other side, as a chairman and co-founder for DF Automation, I think my role changes throughout for the last uh, 10 years. Uh, initially, uh, my role is to build as a business development and marketing. So I bring investors to come in. I uh, talk to potential customer and build it. And also, I, I'm the one also responsible to look into fundraising. So that was my role at the early stage. So as for now, I think moving forward, uh, my role as a chairman also is looking into how to expand the business. Uh, number one is now, for example, we are looking into the country direction because we want to build a robotic company that is leading in this region. So I have to think of a strategic move together with maybe the government, the state, also with some private organization, how we can work together. So this is my role to look into that. And following up, of course, is a collaboration. Um, as a private company building robot, we are only 65 uh, you know, staff at this moment. And then we, we can only do this much. One way to amplify the value of a company is by doing a lot of collaboration. And as an R&D company, the best uh, organization to work with is a university. <laughs> so we are working very closely between DF Automation and UTM. And we're also working together with other universities also around Malaysia. Uh, in fact, we also work closely with a university from UK and also from China. So this is something that we are working on and this is also my role. I think the third one is mostly is also the marketing side and the branding side because uh, we want to push this company forward. I think the brand also is very important, the images and so on. So I will say these are the three main roles that I'm looking at. And of course, for the operational, then I'm very lucky to have my a co-founder partner lah, to look after the operation side. So I'm looking into more towards the business development and also the marketing. Yeah, I think this is very important. And I think for academician, it's also very important to have a collaboration with the industry because then you can actually bring a lot of real insight you know, to the students. At the same time, the student can get a lot of benefit because you you are they are actually uh, they can actually see how the real world uh, collaboration and then solve real world problem. And then uh, as, a, as a company, you have uh, working with UCC, then that you have like a research arm, <laughs> then you have a lot of students that can actually do, contribute to the research for the company. I think that's a win-win situation, what we call it symbiotic. <laughs> it's a very good collaboration kind of indeed environment. Interesting. So Dr. Yong, um, can you describe, give us a, a very 101, what is robotics? <laughs> and then what is artificial intelligence? For, for, for you as a, and then is there any difference between robotics and artificial intelligence AI? Yeah, I mean, every time when we talk about AI and robotics, you know, you, you ask my kid, my kid will think it's like Iron Man or Transformer. I mean, if you ask all the, you know, gentlemen like us that we are at our early 40s, you know, we would think like Tesla or the space and the rocket. But I mean, if you ask business person, then they will think, hey, AI can make, help us to make more money. Or even the teenager will think that AI is like the you know TikTok or the Instagram to make you to make you look beautiful. So AI has a very broad understanding and also definition, which is you know it's not wrong and right. Uh, by definition, I think AI artificial intelligence is like you know fake intelligence, or in the other way, it's a uh, in detail we say that computer science uh, basically you write a certain programming and model becomes something. And if you look into a little bit more detail on certain definition, they say that AI is designed to mimic human, you know, and why they want to do that, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that actually human doesn't want to do. They hope that the, uh, the robot or AI can do the job. 
So for example, we can see that AI actually we have this uh, machine vision, we have this uh, image processing, and then of course we can talk, then of course uh, AI we have that as well. Lah. And then moving forward into the terminology of robotics, because as a human, we can walk, we can move around. So this is where the robot is being coined up. They're trying to mimic the human, for example, in a manufacturing site. We have operator picking stuff up and, and dropping stuff up or do certain things. So we need a robot doing that. Lah. And if you go a bit detailed, like for example, machine learning, human uh, can do you know a pattern and recognition machine. For example, in this room right now, I, I felt the temperature. So I can actually predict what is the temperature right now based on my, pers uh, my past experience. So in AI, we call it as a machine learning. Then of course, uh, us also, we have this uh, very good in self-learning. For example, right now, even we are in Malaysia, if I just jump to Singapore, totally different environment, but when I go into the hotel, I roughly know what to do already. You know, you need to check in, you need to do that because of this capability of self-learning. But in, in AI and robotics, sometimes we call it as a deep learning. So ultimately, AI is a huge broad uh, you know, definition, but it can be from very simple all the way from very complex. Uh, but at the same time, the whole idea is try to you know, mimic human, try to reduce our uh, involvement so that we can Reduce our job that actually repetitive, boring, uh, and also dangerous. Sometimes it also helps to make us a bit lazy. Uh, so that's what they are trying to say. <laughs> you know, that, that's my definition of AI and you know, robotics. Okay. How about, uh, I, I mean, uh, uh, that's, that's all the robotics is actually trying to mimic human, or basically, I, I know that uh, from the beginning, the robotics field and the AI field is very different field. So I, 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 will, I will assume that the robotics started from the engineering side. And then uh, AI was started from the computer science side. So how does a robotic, in, in, for you as a person who is very passionate about robotics, how, what's your definition of robotics for you? Well, I think robotic is, if by definition, say it's a mechanical a machine or equipment that can be programmed doing a repetitive uh, task. So that is a very straightforward definition. And the whole purpose is... Uh, uh, in the manufacturing and actually robotics started in automotive lah, because when you want to build a car you need a lot of uh, uh, things to do for example to do welding to press this type of stuff. this is not an easy job it's very heavy and also very dangerous also then they start to think of ways to automate this then finally they, they, they come up with some very simple kind of uh, mechanical solution that can do and read themselves and slowly it became, they call it as a robot. Lah. That's how it all started from the more robotic point of view. Okay, interesting. Uh, what's, what's the evolution of robotics from automation until today? What is the, what is the evolution? How, how does robot have evolved from the, from the time where it's during the car manufacturing until today? Where is robotics being used now? Yeah, I think that is a very good question. Uh. In fact, robotic use in cars still one of the top uh, market share as for now. And why is that when you first started until now still hold the market share because the value of the product is so high. And then I give one example. If you want to make a car, you want to weld a car, you need about 5,000 uh, spot weld. If you are asking a human or operator to do the job, first, it will take a long time. Second, the quality is not as it is and so on and so forth. But if you use a robot they can speed up the process. At the same time, the quality and insurance is actually, you know, uh, guaranteed. And best of all, actually, robot can run 24-7. So that's, uh, that's what it is, uh, why robots are being used in automotive. 
But of course, the usage of the robot in automotive is actually extended, not only just to do assemble. Now they also look into how the robot, uh, sorry, how a car chases are being moved from point A to point B. Last time they used conveyor, now they can use uh, AGV. And then even to do to paint the car also, they have a robot to do painting the car and so on. So automotive, at least for now, it still holds a very high percentage of the market sale. But moving forward, the next market share I would say is quite high is on the electronic manufacturing. The reason very simple because uh, worldwide, we all use a lot of gadgets like phone, laptop, printer. So all these allow all the manufacturing have a bigger kind of uh, uh, you know, uh, product they need to manufacture. So rather than to uh, hire operator or workers, they use robot because it's more scalable. If you hire a uh, human workers, you need to train them. You need to address the visa issue, sometimes the human error issue, and so on. Uh, as for now, this is in growing, and I think the next step because of the COVID situation, also agriculture also be. I mean, automation, robotic agriculture will increase as well. They find that one of the reason because if we were being locked down completely, we can still survive without the phone and also the laptop, but we cannot survive without a you know, a, a plate of food. Lah. So that's why they are looking into how to automate uh, the plantation of agriculture. So this is a very short term, I would say, for the next two and three years, people are looking into this. Uh, but coming soon, I would say in four and fifth year, Malaysia be maybe a bit longer. Worldwide, they start to see already the service robot. So the robot used at home. I mean, of course, we start seeing small little robots like the me vacuum cleaner or Roomba vacuum cleaner to help us to clean the house. Now they want more. They were asking like, hey, can I have a robot to help me to wash a clothes? And then I told them to fold it. Some even asking if can I have a robot to help me to cook, to chow fun and all this stuff. So again, there's a lot of requests on this particular space. And, and I would say this is a transition that we're going to see in the very near future. Interesting. So that means uh, robotics are moving from manufacturing into our household, you know, into our home. So I see that a lot of companies like Samsung, or uh, they, these are all these companies that they are actually producing more and more s- s- robotics that actually use in home, like what you say, smart vacuum cleaner. Uh, maybe there's a small robot like Amazon just released a small robot that can actually be the screen that you follow around your house and also do um, uh, monitoring in your house and CCTV. So I think that is another uh, another area where robotics are. No, it's another area that robotics can be can be actually applied, especially into every household and uh, in, 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 in everywhere now. Okay, that's a quite interesting. So how does uh, robotics have evolved over time? I mean, like you said, robotics is just doing repetitive a lot of stuff. Isn't it? But at the current moment now, we see that robotics are getting more and more intelligent. I think that that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a common evolution of robotics, isn't it? I mean, applying AI into robotics. How do you how what how do you see the, the evolution? Well, I think that is uh, I'm not sure how to address this because it really depends on how to see that perspective, la. So let me start from a general perspective, uh, uh, like just now we discussed when the robot started is all because of the automotive industry. They want to make the car faster, better, and also cheaper, la. And moving forward, they see the value and benefit. Then the robot actually being implemented and to other industries also. And slowly, uh, like, like even in Malaysia, maybe i give you one example. We started the Photo Nation back in 12, 2012 and we built robots for industry, you know. Then we actually have, a, we actually pay a lot of money for some exhibition. 
So when we went there, we showed the robot there. And at the, at the end of the day, we cannot close the deal, you know, because back then, the, the awareness of robotics is very surface. They don't understand what the robot can do. So that was back then. But moving forward for the last three and four years, I think the government pushed a lot of uh, awareness of robotics, like Industry 4.0, Industry Forward, even worldwide also people are talking about robots. We have customers come to us and ask, hey, uh, we want to have this. Is this Industry 5.0? So rather than to understand the problem they want to solve, they were asking whether this is industry forward 4.0 kind of you know, element and whatnot, or this is AI or not. So it become a market push rather than the actual need. So we do have seen this kind of uh, customer. Lah. Then now they start to accept the robot. They start to you know, invest into the robot lah, as per now. So we see that kind of uh, generation. Now they start to accept, they start to ask more different things. Then they will say that even, hey, uh, can I can you do this? Uh, can you do that? Uh? Including sometimes they even say that, can you actually build a robot that can become my husband or wife or not? So it's a balance between, you know, the ethically and so on. Because sometimes they can even use the AI to do things that they're not supposed to do uh, that can harm the industry. For example, in, a, in, in, in some data, you have the data, then they actually exploit the data for some personal gain and so on. Mm -hmm. So, this is quite scary, but at the same time, uh, it's, it's, I mean, there's an organization try to look into this to come up with a policy, but it's going to be very difficult. Uh, but we are quite lucky that it's not there yet, it's not that serious yet, but again, we have to be uh, more, you know, be op not say open, but we have to be more careful, and at the same time also to see how far should we allow this AI to go. <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> it's quite interesting that uh, uh, AI now is, uh, there's a lot of, of course, uh, there's a lot of uh, opportunity to be used, to be gained from AI. Uh, of course, there's also some threat, need to be careful on that. Uh, how, how about AI in your company? Um, in, uh, it has DF Automation and Robotics has a robotic core company. Has, uh, has, I mean, out of these nine years that your company has established, what is the evolution so far? Are you moving in a different direction or are you still focusing on your robotics or manufacturing? Yep. I think let's start from the brain of the robot first. Then I will start on the machine learning part a little bit. So as a robot maker, I think it's pretty straightforward. We want to make the robot intelligent in such a way that they can uh, move on its own and make certain decisions. So when we first started, actually we designed our own embedded system. Uh, we designed the board, we put a microcontroller and we write everything in assembly. Lah. And the robot supposedly to move uh, according to the environment then to make decisions. So back then, we just use a very simple tape. Either it's a color tape or magnetic tape that the robot can differentiate uh, what is the intensity, then make a decision for the robot to move forward, backward, left and right. Like that, that is how it all started. And we were very proud of that invention because you know we designed everything from scratch. All my engineers are super proud. Uh, but things hit us when we try to scale. When we have a customer, you know, in Penang, JB, KL, and also in Thailand or even in overseas, my core senior engineer or programmer, he cannot go to everybody just to do the hardcore programmer. So that really struck us. And we have to start to think, hey, we cannot do this anymore to write every single line of an assembly language and so on. Although we love it, but you know, that's not how it is. Uh. So that was, you know, 2014. Then we start to say, hey, we need to use... Uh, a, a very generalized platform. And we, we did a survey and we finally found one platform that we think is the right one. It's, a, it's quite a famous one. Uh, I'm sorry, I cannot name the brand here. It's so okay. we tried that out. 
we tried that out and it was easy to program. Uh, but there are certain features that didn't fulfill our requirement. So after one month, actually we have some uh, you know, feedback from a customer. This is not what they expect and so on. In fact, we burned our investment, I think close to 50 to 100,000 at that time. So it was a tough decision because we changed from the embedded system that we designed ourselves for the you know for two years. All of a sudden, we just crashed to another one. We invested a bunch of money. Then only we realized that it's not working. So now it makes us turn into the third direction. So we brainstormed for a very long time. Then I think at that time also, we are at the right time also. We invested and we make a decision to move into industrial PC, a very general industrial PC. Then we start to write our own code based on ROS, Robot Operating System. So it was a very well-known uh, operating system platform. Then we just modified our own code and put it inside. So that's how we all started. And once we evolve in, then we see the power of the platform itself, the architecture. But I think more important now, we don't, we don't, we don't have to focus more on the architect so much already. So we just focus on the application layer and the uh, AI part. Lah. So that's how we start to move in and, and, and then you actually scale our business. Um, because when we designed this software, we call it NetVisa, Navigation Vision. It was intentionally to allow our technician to be able to program internally. But once we finish, we sent our partner and customer side. In fact, they also can do it. So that let, allow us to see, hey, we can actually uh, partner more with our partner to actually sell this solution. Uh, and, and this database, not only the power our robot, we have like Zalfa, this is a 300 to 500 kg AGV for industrial uh, electric manufacturing. We also have Titan for one-ton robot, forklift, Zeta, and also we have a sushi robot also for sushi restaurant. So all this powered by Tesla. And now we're moving forward. Three years ago, when we have this software, we still have a very huge challenge to go into uh, electric manufacturing. We are there, but they don't allow us to connect to their system and network. The reason because of the security and whatnot. But I think because of the recent awareness campaign, the importance of Industry 4.0, they start to open up and that allow our system to grow exponentially. Now, our robot not only move in the plant itself, our robot can communicate with their other machine, equipment, robot. Even the robot can actually open the door themselves and go to the lift, talk to the lift to which floor they wanted. So that is the stage that we are happening for the last one, two years. So now moving forward, they uh, are talking about because we collect data. So they also want to know what can we do about the data. So one thing that we try to look into right now is that how to do the predictive maintenance. So rather that you do, uh, you know, periodic maintenance that you need to spend the money on because sometimes you just spend the money by doing that. So why not I can actually know the, the you know, the machine going to fail in the next one or two months. So now I go and fix it. So it's more cost effective and also straight to the point to solve the problems so that would be the evolution of the you know the AI technology in the automation. So your your predictive maintenance the data being collected from all your uh, robots robots is actually stored in the cloud or is stored locally at the respective uh, companies. At this moment, it's stored locally. So one day we can collect all the way up to one gigabyte. So it's huge. And of course, now people are talking about five G is coming and so on. So we are exploring that also to push up. Of course. From this conversation, uh, data itself, we have to see what kind of data we need to save and what is the most important data. 
But before we do the first tier of understand the data, we are not able to just kick off some of the data because you know after one or two years, they only realize that hey, this data is important, but we already remove that in our database. So this is also a pain point that we need to consider lah. So as for now, we just collect all the data, and my team is trying to understand what data has the highest priority or correlation to the output that we wanted. Then moving forward, we're going to optimize the data collection. Yeah, I'm sure with uh, because uh, you have you have so so many machine. I'm sure with all the data they collected, I'm sure you can build a very good predictive maintenance kind of model, and then uh, you actually help all the company. Yeah, so I think there's something that uh, the the evolution of the company products. Uh, yeah, I mean to another services that you can actually uh, provide to your respective customers. Before we move further, uh, you you keep on mentioning about AGV and uh, AMR. So AGV, as I know, is an automatic guided vehicle, and AMR is an autonomous mobile robot. So actually, what's the differences between these two? Okay. Uh, from an academic point of view, if you ask me, both are the same. AGV, automated guided vehicle, and AMR, automobile robot, basically, is an industrial mobile robot that can move on its own. Mm. But by historical point of view, AGV was the first word that been used. AGV, and it means that it, either you follow the tape. Or you follow embedded induction cable and whatnot. So because the 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 vehicle are being guided three D direction. Then for the last three and you know five years, there are some very high profile startup. I would say robotic startup, but they are huge lah. They start to come up coin with a new term called autonomous mobile robot. Try to insert and differentiate themselves with AGV. So for the new definition of AMR or autonomous mobile robot is not using any uh tape or magnetic tape. It's actually based on lidar or machine vision, that is more intelligent. So the robot not only can move from point A to point B, but they also can do obstacle avoidance a lot more lah. So that is the evolution of the definition of AGV and AMR. Okay, but let me share with you a very interesting point. Ah, huh? in Malaysia, actually we are happy to use AGV because worldwide people still use AGV. But the challenge is when you try to export this robot to a country, if you put the AGV, ah, uh, the customer you think that this is a car. So unfortunately, there will be a little bit of a trouble, and we have to explain. So if you put an autonomous mobile robot, when they see the robot is a robot, ah, uh, most of the country when they you know import or robot is actually without the tax. So、I、this、see. is the、uh, things that we are actually have a challenges ah.、Uh. So yeah. <laughs> so this kind of a this kind of a、uh, uh, story is actually only can only you can only understand when you're looking from the uh, uh, company perspective. <laughs> Indeed.、Okay. Well, I mean, we have a big challenge to explain to our partners in overseas and so on. Actually, we write an article about this in our blog, and then yeah, actually some of the company came to us and say, yeah, you are totally right. So I think we need to change our name also from AGV to AMR. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, uh, yeah, so I I can see now the the benefit of uh. uh The AMR is it because AMR have a lidar, so you no matter what kind of environment you put, then you, the lidar can actually map the current environment, then it can actually do the avoidance. So in that sense, even like our smart vacuum cleaner is actually already an AMR, is it? Yes, correct. Yeah. So、huh. I mean, you compare why people still want AGV and AMR because of the price differences. So AGV is much more affordable. It can be as it can be sometimes hundred percent cheaper than the AMR. So AMR, they use a lidar sensor or the machine vision. This one sometimes can be very very costly. Uh, so it depends on the industry, depends on the customer what they are looking for, lah. Okay. Uh, so uh, since since you mentioned about lidar, so I mean when when people think about lidar, of course they think about Tesla and、uh, all these、uh, autonomous self-driving car. So how different of this、uh, your AMR, your your robot con 
compared to a self-driving car is it we should because i think self-driving car has more things it's yeah. more just not just lidar mapping that he's a lot do a lot of visual you have to understand the environment so how different are, is your robot compared to a self-driving car well, I think from the AGV maker or Emma maker, we're going to say, oh, it's very similar. <laughs> but also from the self-driving car, it's actually very, very different. Uh, but in general, I think the idea is similar. They use the environment to understand your location and to do a prediction. I think that is quite similar. But in a very different way is uh, the self-driving car is more comprehen- comprehensive and complicated in the sense because AMR in industry, we basically working in a controlled environment. The complexity is not as much. For example, in a factory of 10,000 square meters, all the machine, all the door are fixed. So your, your algorithm to predict your location, chances is higher. Then all the operators are being trained to behave in front of a robot. Sometimes they even have a path that you cannot walk here, you can walk there. So the robot uh, behavior is easier. But as of in the self-driving car, you know, first thing first is the environment. Today, you have the tree. The second day, you might don't have the tree anymore. Or even if you're in the four-season country, that is even more challenging. You know, the color changes and whatnot. Yeah. Then when you are in the environment, we know that machine vision are being affected greatly by the lighting. So mm. this is so a huge challenge. So the algorithm need to really process that. So this is environment. The second is actually, of course, the safety. Mm. You know, in the roadside, you have all kind of a people, you have all kind of a even animal that don't understand what is self-driving car. And some of the people will just, you know, jump in front of the car for the sake of testing the car, whether they are safe or not. So <laughs> then it make the car algorithm and the speed of real time is even more critical. So I would say, yeah, they are similar, but not entirely. So of course, the self-driving car requirement is much, much more higher. Yeah, so I, I we hear a lot of news that people pedestrians simply jump in front of the <laughs> self driving car to test whether how how effective is a self driving car prediction to you know avoid all this uh, collision. Okay, sounds very well, interesting. I mean, not not only for self driving car, <laughs> even our AGV at the factory because our robot run for twenty four hours, right? In the daytime, it was fine because all the manager and supervisor are there. During nighttime, the operator will come and kick the robot and say, hey, whether the robot is still stay there or not. So oh we my. have that also. <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting indeed. So do, do your robot do any recording or did your robot carry any CCTV to do all the recording? Okay, that's an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> as for now, no, we are not supposed to because of the you know uh, data and security. La. But we were asked by the customer to do that. And okay, another example is because the AGV can run up to three kilometers in a day, or sometimes carry up to 500 kg. So the robot just running around the factory. Then, as the customer, they will say, Dr. Young, the robot just running only. Can we add a bit of value to the robot? Okay, what kind of value? For example, you know, you put a camera there, they can see someone that's lazy, and you know. So, so then that really struck me because. In most of the manufacturing company, the manager or the MD will come down and walk. And most of them, when they come down and walk, all are be very quiet and they will try to, you know, clean up the stuff. Lah. So rather than the supervisor or the manager, they need to come down, they can ask the robot to move by just looking at the, you know, the, the computer or the iPad, they can see what's going on already. <laughs> so, so you are actually saying that uh, your robot now can be actually double up as an extra job, become like a self-monitoring or CCTV, actually help, help to monitor the, 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 the workers' uh, production level and also maybe maintain security. 
Yeah, and then, in fact, this is also a, in fact, this is also a project that I passed to my final project is uh, from DF Automation. Not only we want to collect or record the the video lah, they need to come up with some kind of machine vision to detect whether the operator are doing their job or not. And this is one. The second thing, because of the COVID, they want to see whether they comply with the SOP or not. Oh, okay. Very interesting indeed. So you are you are actually uh putting more uh, model into the camera so they can actually detect the human behavior, human activities, and also detect any any compliance or not uh, SOP compliance for COVID. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I think now you're talking about the this we call human monitoring. But the customer also asking, hey, Dr. Yang, since the robot run already, you got camera, right? Can you help to check whether got, you know, the my trolley because in one manufacturing customer, sometimes they have 1,000 trolley. And sometimes the trolley, you know, missing. So then they ask, can we actually track all these uh, asset uh, automatically <laughs> or not? <laughs> okay. So is, is it going to be extra service as it going, uh, I mean, based on subscription base and the customer buy your robot, they actually subscribe to certain extra services? Is it going to be that model? Oh, uh, we have not things that far. I mean, for us as an engineer, we like to see the challenge. We like to come up some solution to add value. <laughs> but <laughs> okay. yeah, definitely we are looking. I mean, all this while we actually sell outright. But moving forward, I think people are talking about subscription model yep. so that it can make more, you know, affordable for everyone. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So interesting that you say that uh, as an engineer, you like to you know solve problem. So what kind of uh, what kind of uh, engineer or uh, robotic engineer or let's say you were, if you were to recruit AI or machine learning engineer, what kind of criteria that you look for? Okay, uh, so from my HR, whenever there is an application come to us, we will ask them a series of a question. Uh, mostly to look into two perspectives. One, of course, is their background, whether they are in AI, robotic, whatnot. The next is actually more towards their attitude or their leadership. So the question maybe we even ask, okay, I give you this scenario, what will you do? And then for technical part, we will ask them, okay, I give you this uh, problem statement, try write in the C code, la, something like that. So this is a very first tier of uh, uh, question and answer so we can filter up. So when we uh, do interview, then of course we have some, I would just say that those that are actually top tier already, then we want to choose which one is the right one. Some of them done very good job in the university. They get A most of the time. That is perfect. But I think the one that we are looking at is the the real experience they had in execution, uh, executing this kind of stuff. Uh, those that have done freelance, those that have joined competition and win award, this is an added, you know, value that we want to look at. Uh. Uh, for robot, you don't necessarily to be from robotic engineer or you don't necessarily from you know computer science. For example, some of our programmer in the automation are from mechatronic. We even have a programmer from mechanical. Uh, and ultimately, it's their passion and also their experience in real life that actually uh, shape them. So this is who we want to look at, and definitely it's their passion also, like in robotics. Do you find um Do you find the current university are producing the right talent, especially in terms of this kind of industry like robotics uh, or AI or machine learning? Do you find the UCT are producing the right talent that fulfill all the requirement by the industry at the moment? Okay, I think very specific for DF automation. Unfortunately, it's not. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, it's not. I mean, DF automation. I, I mentioned early on our rob our robot is actually based on ROS. And in Malaysia, I think 
I, I don't think there is a university that actually provide the courses on this platform, Ross. And of course, they learn the basic uh, programming like the Python, JavaScript, database. I think this all help out. Lah. So we have some gap uh, to get the right talent to join in. So this is what I did in my UTM. So I, I came up with a so-called organization called IROS. It stands for AI Artificial Intelligence. ROS is Robot Operating System and T is IoT. Lah. So every year, we have about 30 to 40 students join. Then here, we share all the information regarding to this uh, knowledge. Hopefully, we can actually build a talent towards this uh, direction. Uh, the other one is actually a RoboCup competition regionally also. So this also, I encourage my students to join because the prerequisite to join this competition is to have a ROS. But it's not as big as the other uh, competition. Uh. Um, yes, there is a challenges, but at the same time also, we find a lot of a good student and patient in machine learning, big data and programming. Because if you're good in this, you learn the ROS, I think pretty fast, you can catch up. Lah. But we still need certain time to get them ready. Lah. Okay. How about the problem-solving skill and cre creative problem-solving skills? Uh, do you, are, you, are, you getting, are, you, are you facing any difficulty getting the, the, this kind of student with especially I, I know that the problem solving skill is not, not something that uh, easily found in most of fresh graduate nowadays yeah well I think in the past I would say it's quite difficult I think recently I'm not going to say 100% we get a student they're able to do that I would say about maybe 50% there are some students have a very good problem solving skill uh, I think maybe because uh, I think for the last one and two years, the, the awareness about the importance of AI, because when you, you do about AI, uh, you are looking to the data, you need to come with a solution. They have that kind of a skill already. So when they join in, we see a huge jump of that, uh, the leadership and also the problem skill. Uh, skill. But for, for the other side, yes, they have some challenge. Some of the students have some challenges into pushing themselves in front, and so try to solve the problem because they are kind of too spoon fed already, la, Some of them, mm -hmm. but I, I can see it's a increase of uh, talent at this moment. Uh, yeah, yeah. Last last question. Um, how about uh, brain drain? I mean, talent. We we is is. I think has a startup. I think your company still con consider a startup. How, how easy or how difficult are you to attract the right talent? And also, um, is it difficult to maintain or keep your talent, in, 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 especially in Malaysia? Well, it's definitely very, very difficult, especially DF Automation, not in the you know, capital in Kuala Lumpur and Penang, we are in Johor Bahru. And you know, as you know, Johor Bahru is very near to Singapore. Just by one leg to Singapore, they get a salary of you know, four times, five times more. Salary. So we're definitely in a very, very tough position. But from the DF point of view, because our vision is one to become one of the leading robotic company in this region. And also our passion is really in robotics. If you look into Malaysia perspective, not many companies are working into this space. La. So we are kind of like one of the rare ones. Uh, and, and also we have a message to tell to the, we call it DFN, our family member here, that hey, let's work out together to build this one of the biggest robotic company uh, during the, because this is an opportunity uh, from the customers segment because of the COVID also people are looking into automation and robotics and we also have a good traction now government also said the importance of this we have a good collaboration and relationship with the university and industry then I say hey we are in the good uh, 
opportunity and also timing is a matter of how to make it work only. So now actually everyone are very excited how to push that. In fact, uh, most of the DFA even recommend their friend and their colleague or even their senior to join the app because we want to achieve our vision. So that is exciting. And of course, as a company, we have to keep our promises. So if we say that, you know, this year we want to hit you know, 10 million, we need to hit 10 million. Next year, if we say that we want to penetrate to India market or Australian market, we need to keep our word. But again, this is not only the company responsibility. If you put the responsibility to all the staff, they got the sense of ownership, but at the center also exciting for them. So yeah, I would say the patient and also the growth of the company to get them attached to the company. Okay, <laughs> I think that is very interesting indeed. Uh, yeah, thank you for your time. I, I, I really hope that uh, as, a, as a Malaysian and also as uh, somebody you know, into AI and uh, robotics and machine learning, I really, I really you know, feel proud that, that there's a one company that started from the scratch and then is making your, your, your name you know, established everywhere, in, in, especially in this robotics field. Thank you for that, Dr. Yeo. Nice talking to you today. Thank you. Thank you for inviting. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify Podcasts. If you have any comments or recommendations, I will be glad to receive your voice messages. Send me your voice messages via the link in the show notes. To catch all latest episodes, you can follow this show on our website, www.aimldatatalks.com or our social media such as Instagram or Twitter with the handler at AIMLDataTalks. Thanks again. I will see you next time.